From RTE Radio, I'm Neil O'Sheridan. This is Playback Daily. In India, you don't have the mafia on the other side of the law. And that's what distinguishes India from other countries, is that you have almost like the mafia is the law. But one of the key aspects to its success so far, parents have told me, is that you get these bikes for four months for freeze and no fines. So I rode on and I dyed my hair blue for a chance to Irish dance with you. Coming up on this edition of Playback Daily, Ed Sheeran rules himself out of the running to present The Late Late Show. Presenting the boss with his County Kildare library card. And should we be banning recreational vaping? That's all in the way over the next hour of the radio catch-up show that wants to change its clothes, its hair, its face. The musings on the news, or newsings, if you will, on this morning's Ryan Tuberty show began with Ryan wishing a potential successor on the Late Late Show good luck. I just want to say good luck to, or well done to Claire Byrne. I think Claire made a really, really smart uh, decision, actually. I think she probably had to think long and hard about it, but uh, or maybe she didn't. Maybe she knew all along. But I think uh, as as somebody who I admire as a broadcaster and uh, someone happy to meet around the place, she's she's made a good decision. She made a very classy statement on it, and she said the right things uh, in terms of where she's coming from. Um, she's got yeah, a young family. She's got a uh, great career on radio. She'll have four, more more stuff coming on TV, I'm sure. Um, I don't know. But I do think she did the right thing. Strange for me to say that as the outgoing uh, presenter of The Late Late Show. Tommy Gorman wrote a great piece uh, not too long ago, a very generous piece, actually, saying, among other things, that it's 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 uh, if people want to know about the relevance of the late late show look at the amount of <laughs> coverage given to who's taken over i mean it's not a bad point uh there's there's life in it yet for sure um but yeah i think claire was right i've been thinking an awful lot in 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 recent days and weeks about what the last 14 years have have uh, meant and what they do and what they are and and one of the things is it, there's a, it, it, it is the best job in showbiz and it's the most difficult job in showbiz. I think that's, that's why a lot of people are circling it going, not sure I want that in my life. You will be, you know, you'll be criticised a lot and you will be photographed constantly when you're out and you will be filmed when you don't know you want to be filmed. I mean, it is a new world order. Do you want that in your life? I'm not sure. You, you, th- this, is, this is what it is. I always say I knew what I was getting into so that's fine I'm not criticising there's great benefits to it this isn't uh, trying to put the thing down by any means you work with wonderful people you meet the most fascinating guests I mean and and the audiences are lovely people on the street by and large very very nice but you have no privacy and you are on the moment you leave your front door and that's that's fine I'm just saying that whoever the next person is will need to be aware that it's, it's not just two hours on a Friday night every Friday night for nearly 40 weeks in a row, it's, it's a different story. It's, it's, uh, it's a new world order. In Gay's time, it would have been very different. In fact, in Pat's time, probably very different again. And you also have 555,000 channels around you as well. So it's, uh, it's the Hunger Games with microphones. Like, it's, it's wild. And you do have to make sacrifices in your family, in your relationships, in your life. Um, and, and things fall down and things get up again and it's it's remarkable and what what it would what it'll do for you and do to you so did claire do the right thing definitely and i wish her well in whatever she does next i don't know who's going to be next it, i can tell you it, it is the parlor game to end all parlor games not around this part of town everyone's going who do you think who do you think everyone i pass in the street says who should i put the fiver on i don't know
I know nothing. I have no decision making in this. Uh, this is absolutely not in my. Um, I'm not consulting. I'm not dis- they don't discuss it with me. It's not my thing at all. Um, but I hope they pick the right person. And um, good luck to them in that decision because it's not easy. It's a no brainer. Get Sarah McInerney. Oh, well then, the next obvious choice is surely Ed Sheeran, right? Give him whatever he wants. Just get it over the line. I'm pretty sure he's interested. I think Ed Sheeran was was having that moment when we spoke recently. He was. I got the sense that he was very interested in hearing what. I know this might sound strange, but he was very interested in 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 asking me what. Tell me about your your decision and tell me why you, you chose to walk away from all of this. And I was saying to him, I've had my fun. I've 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 it, to be well known in Ireland is not that difficult, and. I, I'm okay with not having selfies for the rest of my life or that it changes the direction of being well-known. Whereas Ed Sheeran, who's on a different, like he's stratospheric. I'm just talking about a, a very small level of it, but his is totally different. And he was asking these questions. I was going, why is he asking me about this? And then I realized as the court case continued this week, he was, he's saying at one point, if I lose this case, I'm out. I don't want to be, I don't want to be this. I, I've got two kids um, I have a life. I have a beautiful wife. I have all the riches I need. Um, he's he's extremely talented, and and I think he he was probably having to think about what what what's it all about, and what's the point in pursuing trinkets when what's more important is uh, is probably sitting beside you, or you know phone call away, and I think he's probably thinking uh, thinking that through. Uh, after this case, second another case, but he won the case. But when you heard him, you know his grandmother died um, during the week, and condolences to his family on that. I must say, on the passing of 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 um, this is Ed's grand and Ed's granny. Um, when you hear him, this is a small, and he's he's clearly reading out his statement uh, after outside the court, and you can hear how I suppose not annoyed is not the right word, but. How 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 futile in some ways the whole week was that this whole case has been going on since twenty seventeen that hangs over you. Anyone who's ever been involved in anything legal will know it goes on. Remember the case Jardis versus Jardis, Dickens wrote about it in Bleak House. It was this case that just went on and on and on, and the only people benefiting are not the people who are accusing or not the defendants, but the lawyers. This isn't an anti-lawyer rant, by the way. It just happens to be the law. The law, as it always been said, is an ass. And it is. It takes forever. I was talking to a man recently, sorry, just a sidebar, who was in, in, involved in the law for a very different reason. And it was about abuse of all things. The law is cruel to people who have been abused. The law is, is, is actually borderline nasty to people. What it does, you heard about it. There was a law reform and commission during the week. What it does to people, it drags them along to one side of the court, then drags them into another court, and then drags them into another. And you're thinking... Why can't you be kind to people? How is the law not working to, to make people better? Talk about kindness. I'm going to do another sidebar. I'm really ranting today, but forgive me. But when, when you think about the, the, the refugees in Karasavine and you're saying, thank God the local people in Karasavine stood up and said, would you stop moving them? Was it not enough that they got uprooted from Ukraine and are now brought into these hotels? They don't want to be here at all. They want to be back in Ukraine. And they're there and there's kids that start to settle into the school. They've got friends, they've got teachers, they've got a life. And suddenly the state comes along and says, oh, you're going to Tralee. Tralee? When? Oh, two weeks time. Come on. 
what, 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 everyone just take a breath for a second think about it and find you're going to have to find somewhere else for the for the next people to come because those people are joining the community they're enriching the community leave them there anyway I'm sorry I danced around too many places here the point I'm making back to Ed Sheeran he's outside the court and he's talking about how crazy it all is and what a waste uh, a wasted opportunity for him because he should have been somewhere else I'm just a guy with a guitar who loves writing music for people to enjoy. I am not and will never allow myself to be a piggy bank for anyone to shake. Having to be in New York for this trial has meant that I've missed being with my family at my grandmother's funeral in Ireland, and I will never get that time back. Well, another blow to RTE there is Ed Sheeran, speaking from New York City, appears to rule himself out of the Late Late Show presenter job. More as we get it. Meanwhile, and no one's ruled him out of the running, Bruce is in town. I was passing by the RDS, I saw the poster, I saw people getting their picture taken with the poster. He, he's, he seems to, he, he's like an unofficial patron saint. People love Bruce. And um, according to the papers today, he'll perform uh, the first of three sellout Irish concerts tonight, over 50,000 people. Some Bruce facts, let's, let's do this, Irish Independent, what are they saying? RDS has a capacity of 18,500. Tickets sold out within, within minutes. Peter Aiken, promoter said he could have sold multiple extra gigs had the dates been available, such was the demand. Tourism will be boosted by about 20 million euro in Dublin this weekend as a result of Bruce Springsteen. I imagine the power of that. It's great. That's a great news story. All those hotels. Remember, we sat here for two years talking about how miserable life was for the tourism business. This is a good news story. 20 million quid in the coffers. Tables at hotels, hotel uh, tables at restaurants, everything at a premium pubs hosting the boss parties and then um, he will he, this, so when he finishes on Tuesday night he will have played 31 concerts over the last 38 years that's a lot and in the RDS they have a special relationship because of course his daughter Jessica uh, is a champion show jumper and regularly competes at the RDS she's purchased uh, a number of Irish bred horses uh, Bruce has been to see Shane McGowan I saw the photograph on uh, Wednesday he went to Windmill Lane Studios this week. Uh, he also has been to, um, in, in, in pre on previous evenings, the Long Hall on South Great Georgia Street. I don't know who's on Baggett Street. I know that only too well. Too, too well, actually. Uh, and fish and chips in Burdocks. Every time I see fish and chips, I always immediately want a bag of chips. It's, 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 it's terrible, but true. Met Aaron forecasting showers. That's okay. Don't worry about that. That's part of the, part of the deal. Other double check your tickets because of the three dates. Make sure you have the correct concert date on your ticket. Good advice. I remember going to the theatre once and the poor people in the seat. I swear to God, I said, "Lads, you're in our seat." Or the person said, "You're in their seat." The usher, you're in their seats. And they said, "No." And they looked at the tickets. They were a week early. Happened to yeah, can happen. Uh, it was yeah. RDS gates open at five tonight. And he starts at seven. So don't be doing the, we'll be grand. We'll be grand. You won't be grand. Because we'll be on at seven. Because he wants to play for eight and a half hours. And if you're not there on time, you're going to miss the best bits at the beginning. So get there on time. And uh, elsewhere, the, or the, yeah, Springsteen does not perform with support acts. No support, okay. And why he has performed for four hours in the past. There's a 10.30 curfew. So seven, eight, nine, ten, three and a half hours. Live, you see, that's the, that's the thing. That's the other thing I was going to say about the Late Late Show. It's one of the last live chat shows. Whoever comes up next, that's something you have to remember. You don't put it together on a Thursday 
with an hour interview and, and cut it down to 20 minutes like like the other shows, which is not a, it's not a snark. It's just a matter of broadcasting fact live. So maybe Bruce Springsteen, if he's free in September, would be a very fine presenter of the Late Late Show. I think he should consider his options. Uh, he can do three and a half hours live on a Friday night in Dublin. Boom. Get him in. He'd be he'd well able. Um, would you good in the toy show? Yeah. What do you think of the toy, kid? Um, okay. <laughs> okay, we're losing the plot, aren't we? Yeah. And by we, I mean me. It's the Royal We. It's Coronation Weekend. Come on. We're allowed to use a bit of uh, monarchical terminology. No intermission tonight on Bruce Springsteen. No break. And um, he will perform about 30 of his best-known songs. That is bang for your book, that's for sure. That is for sure. Uh, he went to, where did he do? He went to Kildare to find out more about his family roots, according to the Leinster leader. Uh, where did he go? The Borough Pub. He went to the community centre. And his relations came from Mount Prospect. Uh, they went, he went to the library in Newbridge, good man, where historians carried out research and, and made a presentation to him. It was revealed that his great, great, Grandmother Anne Garrity emigrated from Mount Prospect from that part of Rathangan during the famine. Gosh, and settled in New Jersey in the US. This famine story, I'm telling you, that's something I'll be focusing on a lot come end of May. And uh, there you are, without without the famine, there'll be no Bruce Springsteen. Oh, that sounds like an odd, odd leap, but and, and, and it sounds more glib than it, than it should be, but that's the truth. We really went there, didn't we? No famine, no boss, according to Ryan. I think that'll do us for the musings on the news, or newsings, if you will, from this morning's Late Late Show presenter search. Ah, I mean, the Ryan Tuberty Show. Australia has announced plans to ban recreational vaping in an effort to stop the alarming rise in teenage vaping. Should we be looking at doing something similar? That's the question Claire Byrne put to GP Garrett McGovern, medical director at the Priority Medical Clinic in Dundrum and an addiction specialist, and also to Dr Sandro DeMaio, public health expert and CEO of Vic Health, the Victorian Health Promotion Foundation in Australia. Claire first asked Sandro DeMaio how serious the teen vaping situation is in Australia. Oh, this is an extremely serious issue. In fact, when we speak to principals across schools uh, in my state. It's the number one behavioural issue in schools. Schools are having to put sensors uh, in their school grounds, banning bathroom breaks uh, during school hours, you know, during class time because kids, uh, these, you know, kids are getting access to uh, e-cigarettes. And the latest data in Australia in the state of New South Wales shows that about a third of, of teenagers aged uh, between 12 and 15 have used an e-cigarette 80% find them easy to get. Uh, and we know that uh, they're a gateway to cigarettes. Young people who use e-cigarettes are three times more likely to go on to smoke traditional cigarettes. And what are you hearing from the people who are manning and running addiction helplines? Well, I mean, it, it, the the announcements of the um, of the policies this week from government really balance both protecting young people but also of course allowing and improving in fact access for adults uh, who want to use e-cigarettes as a last line effort to quit smoking uh, and so you know we do need to to look at um, 
making sure that, you know, if your average Aussie who's 65 years old and been smoking for 30 years tried everything else and cannot quit smoking, that these products are available. But they don't need to be flavoured like Fruit Loops and milk. They don't need to be bright mm-hmm. pink and, you know, look like a highlighter pen. Uh, and they don't need to be sold, uh, you know, on every corner store, including around uh, increasingly primary schools uh, to do that. So this is a balanced package that, that protects young people but of course supports uh, people looking to quit cigarettes and also does that through a consultation with a doctor, which is really important because people who have been smoking for 30 years, you know, they need to have a chat with their doctor. There are other health risks that come with smoking, including cancer and heart disease, and it's an important opportunity to check in with your doctor as you're looking to uh, quit through e-cigarettes. And the measures that have been announced by the Australian government, they will go further than any other vaping legislation in the world at this point. That's right. Yeah, look, Australia really set the tone for global, globally for tobacco policy a decade when we brought plain packaging in. If you think back to 25 years ago, you could light up on an aeroplane. Uh, the idea of smoking on an aeroplane today is absolutely absurd. Uh, Australia has led the way in reshaping norms and curbing the harms of a product, you know, cigarettes, which uh, kill two in three of their long-term regular users if used exactly as intended by the manufacturer and by this global industry. Um, So the Australian government have announced new protections to reduce uh, tobacco, including increasing the tax excise once again, but also supporting people uh, to quit through a a brand new uh, and large investment in tobacco cessation uh, supports, uh, a major new campaign as well to raise awareness of tobacco and e-cigarettes. But we need to make sure that we don't end up with an entirely new generation of young people addicted to nicotine, which is the path that we were on in Australia. It's the path that most countries are on. uh, And it's a path that leads to um, a a reawakening and and really a a very profitable future for for the tobacco industry, uh, which, you know, we need to make sure doesn't happen because uh, that pathway is going to come at the cost of young people uh, and, and, and at the cost of, of Australian lives. Okay, well, let's hear from Dr. Garrett McGovern on this now. Garrett, we know that the vaping ban is going to come in for minors from July here in Ireland. How do you feel about Sandro's assertion that this is essentially a gateway product and it will create a new generation of smokers? I don't think there's any um, real hard empirical evidence of a gateway theory for anything. I work in the whole uh, drug addiction, harm reduction space, and I've been there for 25 years. The the idea of uh, one drug sequentially leading to another really just doesn't stack up. It's more, more likely a phenomenon, Claire, called common liability, which is people will try things, kids will try things, they'll experiment with things. Most For most people, it'll be a rite of passage. Um, we don't tend to, for instance, we often talk about cannabis as a gateway drug, but a lot of people will have probably smoked before they've taken cannabis, and we don't talk about cannabis or smoking being a gateway drug to heroin. So the gateway theory really just doesn't stack up for me. In relation to a lot of the other issues, um, in the way they have approached this in, in Australia is that on the surface it sounds very sensible. You know, you protect children and people will go to a doctor and they'll talk to, talk to a doctor and get advice. The reality of it is all you're doing is putting another barrier in the way of smokers. Smoking is, uh, as uh, Dr. DeMaio says, a very, very devastating habit which will kill uh, the vast majority of the uh, users who are dependent on it. And Putting a barrier in the way of going to a doctor, there's a lot of doctors in this country are not 
particularly well disposed towards vaping. They're not particularly knowledgeable in vaping. And a lot of them will probably not actually prescribe uh, vaping to uh, a smoker. So we're putting a bar, a plus, uh, general practice are pretty overburdened with, with, with other work anyway. Um, and uh, I, I just think that we should make it as easy as possible. A lot of the people who've tried electronic cigarettes, it's anyway anywhere between 150,000 and 200,000 Irish smokers. The vast majority are using it as a smokeless, smoking cessation mm-hmm. tool, Claire. They're not, yes, there are, um, children, people below the age of 18, but, you know, we don't have an age restriction as of yet, which is quite bizarre, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. I well, don't we, will think have a, we will have a vaping ban for, uh, in force for minors in from July in, in this country, won't we? I mean, we do you recognise that there is a significant problem in Ireland with young teenagers who are vaping pretty much all of the time? I mean, um, Sandro mentioned it's a behavioural issue in Australian schools. We've heard the same here. There's about 4.6% of people, um, of young people below the age of 18 who are take vaping every day are vaping almost every day. There's no doubt about that. We absolutely, I mean, you, you talked on the top of the program about should we ban recreational uh, vaping. I don't think vaping should be used recreationally, but as a smoking cessation tool, it can definitely, without a shadow of a doubt, help people. That's GP Garrett McGovern, who, along with Dr. Sandro DeMaio, was talking to Claire Byrne this morning about whether or not Ireland should be following Australia and looking to ban recreational vaping. On this afternoon's live line, as the man himself warmed up to take to the stage this evening, Joe Duffy spoke to people about their experiences of seeing Bruce Springsteen live, starting with Laura. The highlight was in Kilkenny in 2013. Okay. Uh, so he did this amazing tour of Ireland um, that year. He did Limerick, Cork, Belfast and Kilkenny. And um, it was just so amazing to be able to see him play in all these you know, GAA stadiums and everything like that. But uh, the community around it was incredible too. But the highlight for me was um, getting pulled up on stage for ah. the iconic Grand Thing in the Dark song, which is in the music video and everything like that. So and how did you manage to get pulled up on stage? Well, fans will know that there's a very kind of intricate queuing system to, yeah. to be able to get into the pit and get up front. So I went a couple of days early and brought a sign. Um, he used to do amazing sign requests. I'm not sure if he's doing them on this tour, but people brought it, brought their signs and you kind of try and think of something creative. What's that your, sorry, sorry, Laura, what do you mean you bought a sign? Brought, brought a sign. Oh, you brought, good stuff. Okay, um, you brought a yeah, sign. Yeah, so, so I wrote on it. So the, there's lyrics in the song that say, um, want to yeah. change my clothes, okay. my hair, my face. Do you know that part of the song? Um, so I wrote on it, I dyed my hair blue for a chance to Irish dance with you. And uh, right. Stevie, the guitarist, pointed me out and we had a little Irish jig on stage. It was <laughs> pretty special. And were you in the mosh pit, as they say? Were you up? You're obviously Yeah, up front. in the front, in the front. Okay. Yeah, up the front. So I've been around, like, the community is amazing. I've been around these couple of, couple of people for a couple of days and everyone was just so lovely when you come down. I had people emailing me photographs and sending me videos they had taken. Really, really special. And what about, what he brought up Michelle Obama last week on stage yeah. in, in Barcelona. He did, he often brings people up. He brings his mum up sometimes and different guests. It's, okay. just, it's Cor- all one big party. And when, <laughs> when was Courtney Cox brought up? That was in the official music video. Ah, so that was the official ah, music video. Ah, She's an actor in it, I think. Ah, and so, so that you, kind of so let, you, set the stage for other people ah, to then 
kind of so you didn't, uh, make you that didn't, a moment. You didn't make it into the official video, unfortunately. Not the official video. But you have a record of it. You have a record. <laughs> yeah, yeah great, there's amazing great. videos. Are you going, are you going over the weekend? Years. Well, the whole country, it looks like half of the country is going. Are you going over the weekend? Yeah. Oh, no, you couldn't miss it in your hometown. Um, I'll be there. And, uh, and have really you got it? Did you queue? It's been a few years now, so glad live music is back in general. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Did you queue a few days ago for your wristband for the March bit? I didn't because I'm in work Good. at the moment. Well, then, um, well, then your chances are diminishing. I've a lot of friends who've been. My friends have been down there all week, so it, it sounds like there's great atmosphere already buzzing okay. around the which, which gig are you going to? Which night? I'm going to all of them. Wow. <laughs> Wow! All of them, yeah, and then uh, why? Off to Paris well, for why, a couple why of them. not? Is it, I saw someone on Twitter yesterday saying you have to go if you're into Bruce. You have to go to these because, given his age, though, you would not think to look at him. He's extraordinarily fit on his yeah, one on his one meal a day. Um, <laughs> this this might be his last time in Ireland. Is that one of the reasons you're going to the three gigs? Well. I'm. I don't think it'll be his last time in Ireland. Maybe yeah. that's me. But I think it's very special that the whole, a lot of the band members that he's been with since, you know, the start are still around and playing together. Incredible, so yeah. I think from that perspective, having the whole East Street band there, his wife Patty's in the band. I think that is like a big. It's a big moment that they're all touring together now again, I suppose, after a couple of years. So I think, yes, the age is, is part of it, but having everybody there is also a big part of it too, like the full East Street Band experience. And he, cool. said, he said that um, Ireland is his adopted home. And, um, totally. <laughs> and remember, I think that one of the last times he was in the RDS was um, his daughter was show jumping because she has yeah. trained here, yeah. Yeah. yeah, she's phenomenal. Um, we, I've gone to see her. I love the, the Dublin Horse Show. It's amazing down the RDS. And uh, yeah, it's amazing to be able to kind of share all of those kind of experiences with the international fans in, in Dublin. And I see Stephen Fanzant is still in the still on yeah. stage with him. He's brilliant. And he Je- always gets Sopranos fans excited as well. <laughs> and his daughter Jessica lived here for a number of years, Jessica Springsteen. Yeah. And his son, the other little thing I've noticed about him, uh, that about two years ago, Bruce attended the graduation ceremony in wherever he lives in upstate New York or whatever, for his son who was becoming, uh, graduated as a full-time firefighter. So there you have yeah. it. Now it's a great, an incredible family. Stay there for a sec, Laura. Have you still got the ticket from 215? Yes, mm, I think you? I do. Twenty thirteen, but I don't. I I, I, a, I can't remember exactly. I have boxes of gig tickets. Great. Well, places, get, so. well, go through the mall, preferably with a pair it's of white it's gloves. Memories, yeah. Don't damage them; they're worth money. That's Laura rummaging through her old concert ticket stubs, which Joe says could be worth some cash on this afternoon's live line. Ryan Turberty welcomed Deepti Kapoor into studio this morning to talk about her acclaimed novel, Age of Vice. Age of Vice is a um, it's a novel about uh, power, abuse of power, corruption and the mafia in uh, North India. Um, it's set at the turn of the century. Um, so it's um, it centers around the relationship and dealings of this vastly powerful criminal-like business family called the Vadias, mm-hmm. um, who control vast swaths of uh, North Indian industry, um, ranging from mining to liquor to construction. And it, it it sets off it set off the car crash 
Um, Dramatic start. Yes, yes. Um, on a sort of cold, wintry night in um, February 2003 when a speeding Mercedes um, plows into five pavement dwellers on the streets of Delhi. And um, then we jump back in time to delve into the lives of three of the characters who were involved with the crash. So there's um, Ajay, who is a... Um, tragic and loyal servant. Desperately poor background. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, we'll and we'll talk about that in a second. Yeah. Yeah. Um, who works for Sunny. Sunny Vadia is the young um, um, son and heir to this vastly powerful Banti Vadia yes. who dreams of moving away from his father. And then the third character is Neda, who is a curious, uh, little naive um, journalist who gets entangled in um, Sunny's um, powerful and uh, um, world. So, okay, it, it, it's, it's epic So yeah. in, in sweep because it covers such a multitude. Um, and you have a journalistic background. Yes, that's right. Uh, which is as you were describing the final character there, I was thinking, okay, clearly people will be looking for shades of that. But we, So tell us a bit about yourself and then we'll come back to the, the narrative of your, of your story. Where are you from and bring us up to your career-wise to kind of the present. Um, yeah, so I am, um, I'm from North India. Uh, I was born in Uttar Pradesh, which is uh, a state in uh, in North India, and I spent my twenties um, in as a journalist living in in Delhi, and that was again in the early to late two thousands. So um, when um, India had dramatically changed, so we had the socialist economy till the nineties, and then. Uh, we had liberalization and a move towards a capitalist economy. So you had this move of Delhi, which is a sleepy, sedate city being transformed into what you would call would, you know, as, have aspirations for a world class global city. And I was right at the center of it. So I was working as a, I, I suppose, a social trend city reporter at the time, documenting this changing city, driving around a lot in the day, talking to all kinds of people, you know, reporting on the new metro, new malls and cinemas and bars and restaurants and at night I was partying with um, a set of very wealthy uh, young people whose families wealth had quadrupled in this in this new century um, and they were having these kind of very private Gatsby-like crazy extravagant parties that um, I was part of and and both this night and this day sort of went into Age of Vice. So you were watching a, a city in transition, yes. Were you watching a country in transition? Oh yes, absolutely. And you you, you refer regularly in the book to post independence, and mm. I kept thinking the comparisons between our right down to the colours in our flags and India are really there's great similarities in terms of colonialism, in yeah. terms of uh, um, republicanism, or at least independence uh, and relations with colonial overseers, if you will, and then our relationship with wealth and with independence. There's a total parallel universe there. I know. And it's and it's and it's really strange because, of course, um, I lived in Goa. And then in my 30s, I moved uh, I moved away from you know journalism. And then I moved to uh, Goa. I met my husband, who's actually English. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I became a yoga teacher. And one of my first students, um, she was um, she is Irish. And um, I remember at that point of time, um, 
I thought she was English. Yeah. And she said, no, 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 I'm Irish. That's a very Irish thing to yeah, say, yeah. obviously. Yes. And, and she was upset. <laughs> and, and now I understand why. You yeah. know? So <laughs> and your I get husband it. will understand yeah. too. Yeah. And I, I think post-Brexit, when I became completely obsessed with uh, British and Irish um, politics and, yeah. you know, was uh, involved in the, knowing everything about the Northern Ireland Irish protocol. And, yes. and, and, and now I completely get it. And I, and I can see how, um, you know, even uh, this is my first time in Ireland. Your and first visit. Yeah, this is my first Welcome. visit. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. And and it's uh, I've had my first Guinness. Oh, so. congratulations! Yes, yes. <laughs> that, that's quite the baptism. Yeah, <laughs> but it, it actually does remind me uh, the hotel I'm staying with has this kind of very strange um, Indian feel, like uh, ex-colonial feel to it. Yeah. It's very charming in this old school way, but it also reminds me of hotels I've been with in, in India, which also have this kind of like traces of the empire. Yes. Yeah, and uh, it's fascinating. Because we also have that. Are you the way you describe the transformation of Delhi, for example? Yeah. Um, has that what we call the Celtic Tiger thing where lots of people made money, a lot of new money, if you want to call it that, um, a lot of uh, partying and maybe drugs is included yeah. in that. But just you describe it in your book, but you also describe it in your, I think probably in your journalism as well, that that it, it, it's a sense that people kind of went a bit crazy. People said we all partied. We didn't. Uh, just a lot of people did. A lot of people made a lot of money. And do you see what you, in that transformation something practical and hopeful or do you see something crass and empty? Well, that's a really interesting question. So at the time when I was in 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 that in the early 2000s, when I was part of it as a as a young journalist mm. and as a young woman, um, I just saw the, the hope and the optimism. You know, I, I saw uh, the creation of a new middle class. I saw... Uh, the way you know um, the city transformed, and for for me and for people like me, it was it was a great time. We had opportunities we would never have had mm. before. But now, of course, I I realize that the hopes and dreams of so much uh, these hopes and dreams were actually founded on the broken dreams of so many. So really, what my novel is, what Age of Vice is, is I know it's about the rich and the super rich, but it's really a novel about inequality. Oh, I, I, this yeah. is what I think. That's why I keep saying yeah. epic because it it is yeah. it is the the, that 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 great spectrum of absolute uh, unheard of wealth, yeah, and that's the caviar effect, and then unheard of poverty and squalor. Yeah, I mean that car crash you describe mm-hmm. and the, the pavement dwellers, even that mm-hmm. expression, mm-hmm. You, you say it almost like it's an abstract thing, but yeah. actually they're human beings with with so little uh, yeah. that that's what they are they're they're left to do. So you you how 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 much are you reflecting modern India in that? Uh, disparity between those two ends of the spectrum. Well, yeah, I mean, basically what I want when I'm talking about is this what happened in India is I suppose a version of crony capitalism or actually what I would call even gangster capitalism. Yeah, we've we've known a bit of that yeah, too. Yeah, and you know which which you can see also in countries like uh, after the collapse of the Soviet Union what happened in Russia. Yeah. So the same thing happened in India where you have um, in India, you don't have the mafia on the other side of the law. And that's what distinguishes India from other countries is that you have almost like the, maf- the mafia is the law in many states. So you have politicians who um, are also back home or in their, in their various cons- constituencies 
uh, mafia bosses or, so, so or strong men. Gangster governments. Yeah, gangster governments. Good lord. So, okay. so that's again something that I've, uh, I've, I've, I wanted to bring in, and because Age of Ice is a trilogy, um, it, it starts in. Yeah, I'm very happy to have my eyes lit up there. It's going crazy. There's two more. I'm very <laughs> yeah. excited. Okay. So it starts in the it starts in in the early years of the millennium, but I want to take it up until yeah. to at least, uh, well, maybe not the current moment, but around 2014 to 2015 to see how that corruption and how that excess led to what we're we're seeing right now. Of course, through the lives of the characters, because I know that you haven't finished it no, yet. No, so you can see it but in it my does, copy here. I'm here. It does end on a cliffhanger. Okay. And you do need to know what happens Tell me next. nothing. A cliffhanger ending to Ryan Tuberty's conversation with, with author Deepti Kapoor this morning about her novel Age of Vice, which is published by Fleet. There's a new bike library scheme in operation in Dublin's Liberties, which aims to give school children an alternative to the car when it comes to getting to school. Today with Claire Byrne reporter Evelyn O'Rourke paid the library a visit, as she told Claire this morning. So if you think about it like this, you know how you go to the library to swap books. In this case, you're swapping bikes. So in this case, right, you're offered the chance to borrow a bike instead of a book, obviously. Give it a tryout and it's all for free. And there are so many great features to the scheme. They'll all come up in a few minutes. But one of the key aspects to its success so far, parents have told me, is that you get these bikes for four months for freeze and no fines. So that's a big thing. So it's not just a case of giving it a go. You know, we all know the summery day where we're all going along on our bikes and it's all fabulous and we look like the front of a magazine or a newspaper. The idea is that it's cross-season so you really get to see does this bike work for you and your family in your real life? Now it started out in a school in Dublin last year had proven so popular they're now rolling out this idea the bike library to more schools aren't they? Yeah it was the brainchild of Professor Francesco Pila who is a professor and chair of Smart and Sustainable Cities at UCD he piloted the project first at a school in Harrow's Cross Educate Together that worked so well that demand grew in other primary schools across Dublin so more bikes now are being provided by UCD supported by the National Transport Authority's active travel programme because they all want to encourage families to make a permanent shift hopefully to sustainable travel for their daily commute so in a nutshell, if you're lucky enough to be in one of these 20 schools actually are coming on, on board, you get the use of a top-of-the-range e-bike, cargo bike or foldable bike for a few months during the school term. And the idea is to try before you buy, and that's the idea here. So here, Professor Francesco Pila, who was on hand to give out the bikes the other day, explains more about the scheme and the success in that first school in Harrods Cross as one of the parents gets to try out and hear about her bike. And it's all about basically getting more parents to bring kids to school with a bike and not with a car. Try to promote active travel in the school. This is part of a project that you've been working on. It feels to me like maybe a labour of love. You know, this is something you're really passionate about. Well, listen, it all started when we were working at a bike sharing scheme for, with local authorities. Uh, and I just realised that, look, it's all good to get like commuters, workers, get them to commute by bike. But I just figured out there is nothing for families. So if you have kids and you try to get around the city, you either walk or go by car because buses are just a no-no if you have like a three-year-old kid that is screaming. That started to bug me and I was like, yeah, there must be a way because whenever you see the schools are on, the city gets completely jammed of traffic. So it's a bike sharing scheme all for families. And it works like a traditional library. So instead of uh, taking away a book, borrowing a book for three, four months, you just borrow bikes for a long time period and see how you feel on an e-bike. Obviously, we are not selling bikes. It's just about getting people to try them for free. And we were 
were able to do this with the great support of the National Transport Authority. And your own background, your work in UCD? I'm a professor in smart and sustainable cities in UCD, so my work is all about uh, making our cities, our local communities, uh, more sustainable. And now, if you go in Arrows Cross, uh, you see that there are around 150, 100 bikes parked within the school, and no cars. So Francesco, Monique's just got her bike and heading off there, looks very happy. Oh yeah, she looks delighted. <laughs> I'd say she, she'd be even happier when she does her first hill. And she hasn't had an electric bike before, so this is big. Yeah, but basically that's the biggest barrier probably for people, like because electric bikes, e-cargos are all very expensive, so you need to be sure before you buy them. And I think this scheme gives you an opportunity to try them for a long time and get used to them, love them, and hopefully switch uh, for good, you know, leave your car home and get, get an electric bike. Now, that was Francesco Pila who started the, the whole thing. And the idea, it sounds good on paper. But the, <laughs> the, the new bunch of parents at the bike library, what are they saying about it? And why were they signing up for it, Evelyn? Yeah, so many things sound good on paper and then you get the reality of it. But they say, the look, day, yeah. yeah, exactly. You know, like yesterday evening, you know, you're kind of, that's the test, isn't it? They say that this school is located in the heart of the Liberty. So, of course, it's hard, like any school in the city centre, to get there. Parking's a challenge. So they say a lot of them that they've been thinking about using bikes more, but it's expensive as we know. Do you really want to invest thousands of euro in bikes before you really know if it'll work for your family life? So here there's more parents getting demonstrations of the bikes. So you pick what level, just as you're getting used to it, leave it down the lowest level, so probably one, two or three. And then if it's a windy day or a hill, up around four or five. Okay? So that's only a... So I live nearby. I was thinking about actually getting a, what do they call, long-tailed bikes, and they have cargo bikes. These are the children are behind. Yeah. So we have a car at home. Uh, We live in Dublin 12, and we rarely use it. Really? Is it because you're deliberately trying not to, or just when you look back at the week, you just don't need it that much? We just don't need it that much. You know, there's a bus around the corner from us. We walk everywhere, cycle everywhere. We need to get a big load of shopping, like the car, but other than that... But in terms of bike, are you an electric bike user or a regular bike? Regular bike, yeah. So there's a little draw to an electric bike, isn't there? There is, but I do like the exercise element of a normal bike. So this is great because I can give it a go, see if I like it or not, and then decide. And you have family here in the school? Yeah, I have one boy here. So he has a bike himself and he has the stabilizers on. Do you want to test it? Yeah, just take your time. What do you think today? Yeah, there's a good kind of a kick off it. Can you put something up here, like a child seat up here? We have a child seat up to 22 kilo. We'll be back here next week. It'll only take us literally three minutes to fit it. 22 kilo is the max weight for for a child on the back, you know? Okay, cool. Okay. Happy? Yeah, very happy. Really? (laughs) Yeah. You taking it today? Yeah, of course. <laughs> That's just so exciting. Yeah. Super, enjoy. See ya. The excitement of finding a match in the innovative bike library in the Liberties in Dublin, as reported on by Evelyn O'Rourke to Claire Byrne this morning. Well, we haven't mentioned Bruce Springsteen in about... Oh, I don't know, three minutes? So let's get another boss fix, this time from this afternoon's Ray Darcy show, where Ray spoke to his former school buddy, Mario Corrigan, who met Bruce when he visited County Kildare. I was trying to work it out, so we probably know each other 54 years, Mario. Oh my God, yeah, yeah. yeah. At least, God, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That makes us very young, doesn't it, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so tell them, you're the senior executive librarian with Kildare County Council. 
Yeah. And we heard and, uh, we heard one of your colleagues on News at One. Um, so what happened? Carol. Remind us, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we got the um, the word on Wednesday that he was coming and we were sworn to secrecy. It was going to be a very private affair because um, obviously they're worried about managing, you know, what could have been an experience for an, an awful lot of people if they knew he was uh, arriving somewhere. Yeah. Um, and the idea was that he would come to the Riverbank Art Centre um, and into the boardroom there and Carol Kiley, who was on News at One, was actually uh, the the our genealogist, our county archivist, and she presented his family tree to him. You know right. the the actual facts behind it, the story of it, and um, myself and Carol kind of just talked them through that and talked about um, you know the connections to Wickle there, and it's real. You know, it's not one of these things. Oh well, you know, was he really? It's an actual fact that his great 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 grandparents. Um, were actually married in Rathangan in 1827. And Anne Geraghty, their daughter, was born in 1838. And they all emigrated to America. Right. Um, and that set in trail, uh, you know, that, that connection back to Bruce. Uh, Mario, w- w- did, was Rathangan a parish in its own right or would those records have been in the Kildare Parish? No, they're both, yeah. It's Kildare Rathangan Parish Rathangan, at yes. that time. No, yeah. the reason yeah, I ask this, because in a former life back in the 80s, I was part of a project that in, right, that, yeah. in, that indexed the parish registers for Kildare. Uh, so yeah. what we did was we, we, we borrowed the parish registers, which were all, they're amazing, aren't they? They're handwritten. We got them from yeah. the parochial houses, brought them to where you work, uh, yeah. the library in Newbridge. And then we wrote each entry of uh, marriages, births and deaths onto index cards. And there was a wonderful moment then when you were sorting through them and bringing families yeah. together that hadn't been together for hundreds of years. And one of those families would have been Bruce Springsteen's ancestors. Yeah, that's, that's exactly it. <laughs> and, and like, he was able to see that work. You know, yes. He was able to see the entry in, 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 the, in the register. Yes. And it was emotional for him. You know, I mean, he, he's, this is it, the first documentary evidence that he has to his Irish roots. Uh, and it's that, you know, it is a big thing. No matter who you are, when you come face to face with that, it's, it's joyous. But just to say, we are still trying to clean up all that work you did in the 80s, you know. <laughs> We're, we're just about on top of it now. You know? That was that was pre-computerisation, Mario. So it was all hand, oh, no. handwritten. Index yeah. cards, yeah. I yeah, could yeah, imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Now, like you are a librarian, but you're also a bass player yeah. of some renown. Uh, did you mention that to the boss? No, it was mentioned. One of the ladies from corporate services did say mention me as a rock star in a former life, but he didn't seem to bite on that. And he, you know, I don't know. He, I mean, there's a lot of guys up on stage with him. He could have sque- squeezed me in there yeah, somewhere. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, no. I, I, I mean, the, the closest thing we we did make him kind of take a step back when myself and James Durney were there, and we said we were both at Slane, and we didn't know each other at the time. Right. But we were at Slane, and he was kind of, oh yeah, yeah. And you just think of the senselessness you said to it because probably everybody tells them a story <laughs> yeah. about a concert they were at. How in God's name would the man remember it? But, you know, it, it's, it's like the GPO now is slain, isn't it? You know, everybody was there. Yeah. But it was yeah. an amazing concert. Uh, what year was that, Mario? What year was... I think that was 85. Right. OK. Yeah, yeah. And he was still doing the three and a half hours, which he continues to do up until this date. Yeah. You, you yeah. gave him some, as well as sharing his, his past with him, his ancestry, you gave yeah. him some gifts. I inducted him into the, um, into the library service and we presented him with his first library card, which he found <laughs> hilarious, you know. 
and it's a gorgeous little card with these cartoon characters and but he he actually stood up with it and, and uh, his photographer guy took a photo so we're praying to God that we get a copy of that photo yes. because we I'm sure that our you know our membership rates might spike yes. uh, you know but also a Kildare flag and we gave it to him in a, in, a, in, a, in you know it was wrapped up in plastic it's an official flag and all of that crack but he opened it up and he unfurled it and we talked him through the symbols on the flag and he was genuinely you know, taken aback and really appreciative of it. So I yeah. asked him, would he unfurl that in, in Crow Park? And of course, he's no, not it's in the Crow Park. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you never know. Somebody <laughs> should run to Crow Park just in case. But yeah, look, if he unfurls the Kildare flag in the RDS, that'll do, that'll do us fine in the, in the EL shortcast. I know what you were thinking there. You're, you're thinking that this could be our year in Crow Park and you're hoping. I, I was thinking it was possibly your only chance, you know, yes, but I, that, that, I won't want to hex it for Glenn now and, and the lads, you know, but yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. and you've been a student of history, Mario. It, it, was it 1928 that we last won the All Ireland? I was going to touch for a moment. You were saying, was that, was, did I go into college in 1928? <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, yeah, no, uh, 27 and 28, and 28 was the first time they, they raised the Sam Maguire, you right. know, and uh, yeah, that was unfortunately uh, the last time we were there. We got close <laughs> in 98. Yes, if you remember. yes, I yeah. do, I do, yeah, yeah, yeah. I watched, it, I watched it on the Curra Race course. So that, that that's something yeah. to treasure. Did you actually get to shake his hand? Did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to say, like you know, you, you meet people along the way. He was one of the nicest guys you could meet. Really gracious. Um, had time for everybody, and I think that you know was was seen out when he visited Retangid. When when you look at social media and that later. He sat down in in the borough pub with the Conlans and sang a song, right. you know. Yeah. I mean, and he turned up. Uh, apparently, the teacher in 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 the uh, they had a class, um, in the community centre in Rotangin, and they just walked in, and the teacher nearly dropped, you right. know. Um, but he really was a yeah. lovely guy. That's Ray Darcy's old school pal Mario Corrigan recounting his meeting with Bruce Springsteen in County Kildare on this afternoon's Ray Darcy Show. Finally, on this edition of Playback Daily, some entertainment highlights to look forward to over the next few weeks, courtesy of arts journalist Eva Barry and producer-director Brian Redden, on this morning's Today with Claire Byrne, starting with the just-opened Guardians of the Galaxy Vol 3. Brian, are you on board with this? Is this your thing? Yeah, you know, it's Marvel movies aren't really my thing, right? So it just opened today, so I haven't seen it yet. So it's open open today. I'm not a big fan of Marvel movies. I've had enough of them. I started off, you know, I saw the first couple, thought, yeah, that's okay. I'm done with it now. So I'm lost in the Marvel universe. I don't understand it. My kids get it. They explain to me all the links and all. I've just lost interest. And I go, yeah, whatever, move on. However, Guardians of the Galaxy, I think, is about the best of them because its tongue is firmly in its cheek. It's quite funny. You know, it's quite clever. Um, the actors in it obviously are having a ball when they make it because, you know, all the characters, they bond on screen. The characters have seen that the actors seem to have bonded off screen. So you get a real sense of family about it. You get a real sense that everyone's having fun watching it. So it's kind of impossible not to enjoy it, you know. Mm-hmm. Also, there's really always a really brilliant soundtrack on the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. The guys who make it, the uh, Gunn is his name, the director, who got into a lot of trouble with this one. This one is a wild coming. I'll tell you about that in a sec. But I mean, he's brilliant at choosing the soundtrack for the movie. He chooses stuff from the late 60s, the 70s, the 80s, and they're really cool, cool songs. So it kind of rocks along. Mm-hmm. The plot doesn't really matter, really. It's usually about the Guardians, you know, 
guarding the galaxy <laughs> in various shapes and forms with various different characters. You but liked the first one, Aoife, did you? Yeah, I really loved the first one uh, for a lot of the reasons that Brian said there, particularly the soundtrack. I think they did a really good thing, which is, uh, you know, mining the nostalgia factor you know and I think around the same time you had Stranger Things came out on Netflix and I think we were all into this like nostalgia 70s 80s buzz and the first film really um, went for it with that but I was trying to look up reviews of this new film to try and figure out the plot and I couldn't make head nor tail of no. what was happening I like, watched the you don't go to see for the plot. I've, I've no idea doesn't do it yeah, has no. little furry things basically yeah, yeah so he's a raccoon he's nice called Rocket he's a raccoon right? is he I thought so he's, he's a badger yeah no he's a raccoon <laughs> and he's called Rocket Bradley Cooper and I think most of the movie revolves around him this one because he's Voice, as you say, he's voiced by Bradley Cooper. Mm. He's in jeopardy in this one, and they're trying to save him, or redeem him, or fix him, or something. something. But it basically revolves around that character. He's an interesting character, that Rocket character. He's got quite a lot of fun in it, you know. But the movie kind of revolves around him. Well, as I said, the director was fired from it. You know, he did yes. so. He did the first two movies. They were great, did really well. The second one wasn't as good as the first one, but yeah. it was all right. Mm-hmm. And then he gets fired for, for a lot of offensive tweets he sent out years ago and they came back to, to haunt him. And then all the cast kind of got, got on his case and the cast kind of supported him and said, we're not doing another movie unless he comes back. And then Marvel um, and Disney kind of did a U-turn and hired him again to, to do this one, which apparently is the last one. This will be the yeah. end yeah. And of moving, the Guardians of the Galaxy. And he's moving to, the, to Warner Brothers from Marvel, so he's going to be like doing the equivalent of what Kevin Feige does in uh, Disney for... Okay. He's the main man. Yeah, so right, it's going to be we'll interesting. Give it a shot if it's for you, but, you know, mightn't be for you. Your kids, though. Go with your kids. They love it. Yeah, they probably will. I think it's rated 12, though, isn't it? That's all right, though. There's yeah. not much in it. Like, you know, it's a bit, a bit of action, a little, little bit of violence, a little bit of scary. So I want to grand. talk about another franchise. Well, this has turned into a, a franchise, hasn't it, Aoife? Bridgerton. Mm. This is a spin-off. It's on Netflix. I saw it popping up there last night. Yeah. Shonda Rhimes, and this is called Queen Charlotte, A Bridgerton Story. What What is it? Yeah, so interesting. So this is kind of, I think it's the third part of the franchise franchise Bridgerton and this is a prequel so the interesting thing about this uh, Queen Charlotte a Bridgerton story is that Queen Charlotte and her story don't exist in this form in the books so usually Bridgerton takes cues from the books and book series but this is kind of a newly created thing it's all written and this series a six part series by Shonda Rhimes which is significant because she didn't really have as much of a hand in writing the previous series and also the last thing she did was inventing Anna which didn't quite work out in terms of the praise that she hoped she'd get for it this looks at Queen Charlotte who got married at the age of 17 and her rise to power. She's a really interesting character in that like it kind of takes from her real life, you know, a situation where she married King George, King George who ended up suffering with his mental health and she was a woman of colour. But in this, sorry, in this she's a woman of colour and they invent a lot of fiction around the fact. So they decide that she's a woman who comes over from Germany. Like I said, she's a woman of colour, marries a white white um, king and comes to power. But what they do to try and make her feel, I suppose, at home is that they decide to, um, you know, diversify the aristocracy so that you don't just have white people in power. But they don't actually give everybody really a sense of equality so they get to get to investigate the idea of race in, at this particular well, we have time a, We have a clip here this is the younger Charlotte she's meeting her husband-to-be unexpectedly meeting King George she's attempting to flee the palace to escape her betrothal to a man she has never met this guy The King no one will speak of him no one he is clearly a beast or a troll Understood You know if I grab there Yes perhaps you could assist me by lifting me up there uh, One question you do not like beasts or trolls, what he looks like matters? I do not care what he looks like. What I do not like is not knowing. Now, here, just take hold here. With a lift, I I believe I can make it over the garden wall. You want me to lift you over the wall so you may escape? That is what I said, yes. People will notice you are missing, will they not? I shall worry about that later. Now, if you please, I just need a little help. Come, make haste. I have absolutely no intention of helping you. I am a lady in distress. 
You refuse to help a lady in distress? I refuse when that lady in distress is trying to go over a wall so that she does not have to marry me. Did you like it, Aoife? You watched a bit? Yeah, like I think if you're a big fan of Bridgerton and there are many, many, many big fans of Bridgerton out there, you will really enjoy this because it gives you everything that you got in the previous series. Mm -hmm. I'm not a massive, personally not a massive fan, not because I think, think it's not good, but just maybe it doesn't do for me what it does for other people. But it's really lush. It looks beautiful. The soundtrack is lovely. The acting's really good in it. Um, the actress who plays Queen Charlotte, India and Amarta Feo is really, really good and really engaging. And there's also a love story between herself and the king. So it's not that they're kind of combating against each other all the time. They actually do kind of fall for each okay, other, which is my work for a weekend uh, definitely binge. a weekend watch completely yeah Brian you're <coughs> recommending this documentary which is coming up on Apple TV about Michael J Fox one of the biggest stars of the 1980s yeah it's hard really to imagine how big Michael J Fox huge. was he was huge I mean the Back to the Future movies his TV series Family Ties and all, like all the movies he made he, nothing everything he did just was a box office hit and he was kind of like this everyman you know this really interesting character people could relate to he was funny he was a very good actor he was very engaging on chat shows he had everything going from he got married his family were, were healthy and his marriage was brilliant and all of a sudden out of nowhere at the age of 29 he's diagnosed with Parkinson's disease and not, his career didn't suffer initially uh, because it was a very slow progression of the disease. So he continued to make TV shows, pulled back on the movies. But eventually, as it started to get worse and worse and worse, he had to kind of pull back from public life and pull back from making films. Although he still occasionally makes appearances on, on TV shows. Um, this documentary was called Still. Great title for it. Still. Because he's still Michael J. Fox, but he can't stay still mm -hmm. because his entire body is a mass of twitches and jerks now, you know. So I think it's a great title. And it's directed by a guy called David. Guggenheim. Now he's a really interesting director. He's made loads of great documentaries but he won the Oscar for An Inconvenient Truth the, the documentary with Al Gore and he also made a great documentary called It Might Get Loud about guitar players with uh, The Edge in it. So he's really got great pedigree. So him and Michael J. Fox have teamed up to tell the story of Michael J. Fox's life and it really is brilliant. I've seen it. Now it doesn't start until May 12th on Apple TV. I saw a preview of it but it's really emotional. So next Friday it's, it's, it's Next Friday, yeah. Michael J. Fox is very open in it. He's allowed the cameras into his life so you see him really struggling with the Parkinson's but he won't let it define him he won't let it beat him you know and I, like he says you'll see it in the trailer he says I'm still Michael J Fox I'm still here I haven't gone anywhere this disease is not me you know Brian Redden talking about the upcoming Michael J Fox documentary still on Apple TV plus Brian and Aoife Barry were talking about their entertainment picks for the next few weeks on this morning's Today with Claire Byrne And that's all I have for you on this edition of Playback Daily. The programme was compiled, written and edited by me, Neil O'Shirathon. Don't forget you can listen back to all the programmes featured on Playback Daily on the RTE radio player. And there'll be another episode of Playback Daily at the same time on Monday. Probably. But for me, until the next time, thank you for listening and good luck.